0: Alright, so we are in Genesis chapter 27, and this here is probably one of the more well known stories in the Bible. If you ever went to Sunday school for more than two months, you heard this story. This is a very famous story of Jacob stealing the blessing of Esau. Everyone knows this story, and we're going to go through this whole chapter. But one thing we're going to do in here, though, that not many people do when preaching on this, is show the prophetic significance of this chapter. And again, one of the things we've been doing when going through the Book of Genesis is we're showing uh, and trying to highlight where we get New Testament doctrine from because a lot of our New Testament doctrine is based off of passages in Genesis. The you know the Apostle Paul would refer to these things, and so when it comes to prophecy too, we're not just going to pull our own ideas out of things. Okay, we're going to look at the things that the you know writers of the new testament like the apostle paul did with ishmael and isaac okay that's how we use these allegories so we're not i'm not just doing my own thing here okay what i'm going to show you and my interpretation of this chapter this is not my opinion this is based on what is taught in the new testament and this is ignored by most baptists today and uh and because of that the Calvinists are having their way with Baptists when it comes to Romans 9, especially. And again, when you when you're trying to hang on to a false doctrine, a lot of times you gotta go and you gotta tune the other guitar strings, you know, to fit that one string that's out of tune, the way I've illustrated it before. And when you reject replacement theology, it's gonna create problems for you somewhere in the Bible. And it has destroyed Baptists in Romans 9 and calvinists are constantly winning, you know, people over that have no idea what to do with that chapter. And you got these non-calvinist Baptists like, what do we do? We can't accept Calvinism, but we can't accept replacement theology either. So, you know what they do? They look stupid. And then they're losing their guys to the trendies. And that's not acceptable to me. So, let's go ahead and go through this uh this chapter and see what we're supposed to be learning from it. There's a lot of good stuff in here because these stories, they're not just Historical documentation of what happened even though it is historical documentation of what happened these things are here They're there for a reason these there's foundational truths in here I mean foundational truths for us that we see in the beginning of the Bible showing that what we are living and what we are Experiencing has always been God's plan God's always known how these things were going to play out and so we're going to show how the New Testament often refers to these stories and what we can gain Run them doctrine because I do. I believe this chapter is a foreshadowing of replacement theology, and that's why I'm calling this chapter Jacob replaces Esau. Jacob replaces Esau. Jacob gets the blessing. Jacob gets the birthright instead of Esau. All right. Now would we all agree? Okay. Even the dispensation was, would agree. Jacob replaced Esau, didn't he? When it came to position, when it came to the blessing, when it came to the birthright. Jacob replaced Esau. You know, you just say that to these people sometimes. They hate that word replace. Sam Gipp has pointed out how the word replace isn't in the Bible. God never said he would replace Israel. But there's a lot of words that we use that aren't in the Bible, like Trinity, like rapture, things like that. But anyway, so let's go through here and see what we can learn. Verse 1 says, And it came to pass that when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim that he could not see, he called Esau his eldest son and said unto him, my son, and he said unto him, Behold, here am I. And he said, Behold, now I am old, and I know not the day of my death. Now, therefore, take, I pray thee, thy weapons, thy quiver, and thy bow, and go out to the field, and take me some venison, and make me savory meat such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless thee before I die. So what's so special about this blessing? all right? And why don't we do this today? Have you ever read this story? It's like, hey, what was the big deal about this blessing. Why was it so important for Isaac to say this prayer and give this blessing to Esau? Why was this important? And do we still, should we still be doing this kind of thing today? Well, I personally believe in many ways we kind of do. Okay, It's a little different now, and I, I don't think we do as good of a job as they did back then. But the thing is, though, you could say, for example, uh, a, a, an example of something similar that we see today. Would be like an ordination Or the changing of leadership in a church Okay, What do we see We'll see the pastor Go and he lays hands on a man And what does he do He blesses him He prays for God's spirit to be on him And for God to use him And for God to give him strength and wisdom And to help him lead He's praying all these wonderful things That he's asking God To give to this man So he can do a job And folks the ordination is important somebody you know, with proper leadership going and putting that stamp of approval on somebody it matters there's men out there today who desperately want it and who desperately need it because they want you know you know they want to be a pastor they want to have a church and people they want to go somewhere where there's legitimate authority that they've got legitimate authority backing them and it means a lot to people. And you know what? It should mean a lot to people because it's an important thing. We don't believe in just going and just starting up churches all by ourselves with absolutely no backing, with no authority, just because we think we're a hot shot. That's not right. That's not cool. We don't go find a bunch of dumb punks and some circus clowns to go and lay hands on us. Okay, You shouldn't do that. If you do that, we're going to make fun of you. Okay, We're going to say your church isn't legitimate. If you go and you just find a bunch of punks out there and get him to lay hands on you. That's not the way it goes. And these kind of things are important. And I'm going to tell you something. It, it does something to a man when the hands are laid on him, too. I'll never forget when I was ordained. I mean, it, it, it changed. I'll, I'll tell you this, too. It changed the way the congregation looked at me. You know, because this is a congregation, too, that watched me grow up. These were people that they knew all my faults. They'd seen all my faults. They knew me when I was just a little kid, some of them, and a brat, and, you know, and a, just a, a mouthy teenager, and things like that. And, you know, and it was kind of hard for them to kind of get past some of that. But, you know, they saw I'd grown up. They saw that I was not married. They saw I had kids. I had two kids. I was qualified. You know, they, they saw that. But at the same time, too, you know, I, I was still Tommy to them. You know, I was just still Tommy. But, you know what? People changed. A lot after that, they saw all these pastors that you know kind of stood up for me and laid hands on me, showed their approval for me, and it it affected things. And you, I I felt like it empowered me with the people, but I felt like too, I don't know, it just it just felt like the Lord was with me even more. It, It really did. I don't I don't know how to describe it, but you know it made it too. Where when I came out here to start this church. I didn't have to do it in a self-conscious way. I didn't have to do it in a shy way and have to be explaining things to people and, you know, and like, oh, I know it's a weird situation. No. You know, I was able to do it in full confidence. These things mean a lot. And so that's that's an example of it. We would see, you know, Moses laid hands on Joshua. We see these things like that. But back in the, in the Bible days, okay, remember, and during the time of the patriarchs, these men have great possessions. They have great wealth. They have all these things, and so them laying hands on a son and doing these things and blessing him like that, it's showing that really what they have belongs to them. It's kind of showing too, it's showing all of Isaac's servants that are going to become now Jacob's servants, or you know, what would have been Esau's servants, that hey, this is the guy that's supposed to go to. You know, and so these things really meant a lot. It mattered to them. And I think it even mattered with God. And so I think it's, I think it's a powerful thing. Parents, I think you ought to do that kind of thing for your kids. You ought to pray for your kids. You ought to ask God's blessing on your kids. You know, when your kids get married, you know what? There's nothing wrong with praying over them. There's nothing wrong with doing those kind of things. It's, it's an important thing to, uh, for your family to have. And it can have a major impact for good or evil. And the, the time of a blessing it was a big deal in their culture okay? in our culture today families they're just they're not that strong today and these type of things they don't really matter to most people but they should you know for example too it used to be very important for couples to have their parents blessing on their marriage you know there's people that there was a time and this sounds weird because you know young ladies you know you should just feel free to marry whoever you want You know, boys, you should feel free to marry whoever you want as long as you love each other. That's what's important, right? But you know what? There was a time when people thought, you know what? I want my parents' blessing on this. I'm not going to marry that girl if my parents aren't going to bless it. If her parents aren't going to bless it, the man would go to the girl's father and say, can I have your daughter's hand in marriage? And you know, legally they could have eloped. But often, if the dad said, no, you cannot, that was all it took. And they move on. Now, unfortunately, Hollywood made fourteen thousand movies where they went and got married anyway, and everything was great and wonderful, and so we just don't even worry about that stuff today. But you know what? That matters. And you know, I'll tell you, with me, it mattered to me very much when it came to having my parents' blessing. You better believe it mattered to me a lot. And you better believe and I did go to my dad and I did ask him, and I was like, Hey, you know what do you think of Cassandra and all that kind of stuff? And you know, he was all for it. You know, my dad, my dad was excited about it. He wanted grandkids. You know, he was, you know, he was ready for it. My mom wasn't so excited. That's just because she didn't want her boy leaving home. You know, that's kind of how she was. But you know, she she got over it real fast and was all for it and still happy about it. But you know, and my my wife's mom, uh, you know, her dad was dead at the time. You know, I went and I I talked to her, and I got her permission. You know, before I asked her to marry me and everything, these things mattered. And you know what? I'm thankful that when we got married, that my parents were there, my dad performed the wedding ceremony, I'm glad her family was there, and they were behind it, you know, it meant a lot. And it helped us, it strengthened us when we went we started our family knowing we had we had the, the love and the support and the blessing of all our parents. That kind of thing means a lot. And so, uh, you know, I think it would be good for you to have some kind of tradition. I mean, you know, dads, if you want to start your own thing, and when your boy turns 18 or something, or you, you can make it 19 or 21, whatever you want, okay? You're the authority of your home. And say, this is when you become a man and and have some kind of thing for him. And you pray over him. And bless him. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Oh, and a lot of cultures have a lot of different things. You know, the Menezes, you did the quinceañera for Emily. That's a big thing. And, uh, you know, the Mexican culture, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that kind of thing. Just something special like that that, that type of thing means a lot. And I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on that, but I do believe we have similar things uh, today. And so, you know, uh, I think these things ought to be important. And parent, families, you ought to make up some of these things. And, and have your special things that you do in special times of life that your kids can look forward to, something that they can work for. And when they get there, you know, they need to have your full support and be behind it. And I do, I, it, it's, you know, it's my goal. I want all my kids to get married. I want them to be happily married. And I want to be able to support it. And I want it to be, I want the wedding to be a big deal. I want it to be an exciting thing. And I want them to be able to go into that marriage not feeling like rebels. You know, and that doesn't mean I'm going to go along with whoever they want. You know, but at the same time, you know, there's really only one reason parents will be upset with who their kids marry. It's because parents, in many ways, can see their kids' future, can't you? I mean, just admit it. I'm not saying anything spooky here. But listen, we've watched those kids since the time they were born. And you know what? Those kids do a lot of stuff that reminds us of us. And so we can. We can look at our kids. And we can kind of see the future. God puts something in parents. You know, moms, you can look at those, you know, that potential son-in-law or daughter-in-law. And you do. You get these feelings. This woman's intuition kicks in. And when you get creeped out, you better pay attention to that. Because you as a mom and you as a dad, you care, you care more about your kids' happiness than they do most of the time. And there's a reason they're creeping you out. Because God put something in you and there's something there. And the Lord's trying to tell you, hey, keep them away from your son. Keep them away from your daughter. And you better pay attention to that kind of thing. And kids, you would be wise beyond your years if you would heed your parents' advice on these things, because I promise they can see your future, and they know they know your personality, and they see these other people, and they know, man, they match up with my kid. It's going to be bad. And man, you you've got to pay. I should preach a whole message just on that. I really should. I don't have time tonight, but I'm just saying this isn't. There's nothing really spooky or supernatural here, or weird. Even though I do believe we're going to see some special prophecy here. I do believe God gave something, you know, to Isaac special here that we might not all get. But at the same time, there's a lot of what we see here we could have today, and we did have really not even that long ago. But our family structure just falling apart. We don't have good traditions today, and it's not good. I believe we ought to have these things. So these blessings from the patriarchs. So I do believe they did, they were extra special because of the prophetic significance. Because notice. You don't have to turn there, but in Hebrews eleven twenty, 20, it says, By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Okay? So this is a special prophetic blessing. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews that by faith Isaac did this. Isaac blessed them, and these things were concerning things to come. So this blessing that we're about to read that Isaac puts on Jacob and on Esau these things were prophetic. There's something that we can learn about prophecy through this. And the, he, okay, I'm not telling you this because it fits what we believe. Okay, Hebrews tells us this. So, right. So I'm not just pulling this out of the air. Okay? I don't do that. I follow rules. I'm not just a dispensationalist. Okay, we're not dispensationalists here, where we just kind of do our own thing. And, just, and then when everybody questions us on it, where do you get that? It's called right and the divided. No, we actually rightly divide in a biblical sense. And we let the New Testament guide us in how we interpret the Old Testament. So, verse 5. And Rebekah had heard when Isaac spake to Esau his son. And Esau went to the field to hunt for venison and to bring it. And Rebekah spake unto Jacob her son, saying, Behold, I have heard thy father speak unto Esau thy brother, saying, Bring me venison, and make me savory meat, that I may eat, and bless thee thee before the Lord before my death. So, remember Rebekah... She knew about how the uh, elder was going to serve the younger. That had been revealed to her. So now this time of the blessing comes, and she's always had it in her head that Jacob's going to rule over Isaac, but Isaac is about to bless Esau. So she's like, you know what, we got to do something about this. And while Jacob often gets credited for being the deceptive one, it was actually his mom's idea in this situation. And, you know, he did a really good job, you know, performing here, but at the same time, you gotta blame his mom some too. But I think his mom, in her mind, she's kinda trying to help this prophecy come to pass. You know, either way, it was gonna come to pass. So, what, but what about this eating of savory meat too? Cause this eating of savory meat and venison, it was obviously a big deal cause this was a special time. And, you know, and don't we today, in our culture, and special events, often eat special things? You know, I don't really like, I love turkey. But I don't really want to eat it the rest of the year. That's just it puts me in the Thanksgiving mood. Okay, I want turkey, pumpkin pie, all that kind of stuff, mashed potatoes and gravy, all that. I want it on Thanksgiving. Okay? I mean, it'd be good all year round. But how many people eat turkey and stuff like that the rest of the year? All right, A few people like that. But I, I prefer to eat it on Thanksgiving. Okay, you know, Pasoli, right? Eat that. Eat that on Christmas. Right, Christmas Eve. That's what that, you know. That's what you all do, and it makes it special. You know, and so on special occasions, we often like to eat certain things, drink certain things, whatever. And so this was a special occasion. And so for Isaac, he's like, you know what? I want some venison. And so he tells Esau, you know, go make, go, go kill an animal. Let's make some venison that I love because this is a special occasion. This is a big deal. We might not think of this as anything, but this was a big deal to these guys. So now therefore, my son, obey my voice according to that which I command thee. Go now to the flock and fetch me from this two good kids of the goats. And I will make them savory meat for thy father, such as he loveth. And thou shalt bring it to thy father that he may eat and that he may bless thee before his death. I've always wished I could know what it tasted like exactly. I wish there was a way somebody could come up with like a biblical cookbook where they could like make all the stuff in the Bible. But we have no idea what the ingredients were and how they did it. But wouldn't that be cool if we had something like that? Because uh, I, I read this and I get hungry. But anyway, verse 11. And Jacob said to Rebecca's mother, Behold, Esau my brother is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. My father, peradventure, will feel me, and I shall seem to him as a deceiver, and I shall bring a curse upon me, and not a blessing. And his mother said unto him, Upon me be thy curse, my son. Only obey my voice, and go fetch me. And so now, just like a blessing today still has power and impact, you know what a curse does too? You realize you're cursing your kids when you say you're never going to amount to anything? You know, and parents, there's parents out there that say stuff like that to their kids. You'll never do any good. You'll never accomplish anything. You're going to be a bump. Don't say that kind of thing to your children. That will get in their head. That will mess with them. And it will be very likely it will happen. But you know what? If you're always cheering them on and telling them, hey, you know what? You're going to be great. You're going to do wonderful things. You're going to be a great husband. You're going to be a great wife and a mother. You should tell them those things. I say, but I don't know if it's true. One of the parents' jobs is a lie, right? You no, know, listen. If you tell them those things, they probably will. They probably will. Because you know what? It's in every child they want to impress their parents. Even if they have a bad relationship with their parents. Even, even then, there's a something about they, they want to impress mom and dad. And so if you're out there talking about how great they're going to be, they don't they're not going to want to disappoint. They want to accomplish that. So, you know, be careful what you say. Don't say stuff like that. That is a horrible thing to do to your children listen there's adults I, i've known some adults that i mean 20 and 30 years later they're bringing up what their dad said about them man it's a hard thing to overcome and you can if, if your parents did that to you you can overcome it but you gotta admit you have to overcome it it's hard it's a tough hurdle to get over sometime do you really want to put that in front of your kids as tough as it is to live in this world today do you want to put obstacles and stumbling blocks in front of them don't do that. Don't go cursing your kids. So, verse 14, and he went and fetched and brought him to his mother, and his mother made savory meat such as his father loved. And Rebekah took goodly raiment of her eldest son Esau, which were in the house, and put them upon Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids of the goats upon his hands and upon the smooth of his neck. And she gave the savory meat and bread, which she had prepared, into the hand of her son Jacob. And he came unto his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I. Who art thou, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau. Thy firstborn I have done according as thou badest me arise. I pray thee, sit and eat of my venison, that thy soul may bless thee. And Isaac said unto his son, How is it that thou hast found it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because the Lord thy God brought it to me. And Isaac said unto Jacob, Come near, I pray thee, that I may feel thee, my son, whether thou be my very son Esau or not. So Isaac is rightfully suspicious. And Jacob went near unto Isaac, his father, and he felt him. And said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he discerned him not, because his hands were hairy as his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And he said, Art thou my very son Esau? And he said, I am. And he said, Bring it near to me, and I will eat of my son's venison, that my soul may bless thee. And he brought it near to him, and he did eat. And he brought him wine, and he drank. And his father Isaac said unto him, Come near now, and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him and he smelled the smell of his raiment and he blessed him and said, the smell of my son is the smell of a field which the Lord hath blessed. So notice they were able to, to fool all of Isaac's senses except for the hearing because he smelled like Esau. He felt like he, he felt like Esau. Okay. But and then when he ate the venison, it tasted like what Esau made. His sight's gone, so he can't he can't look and see. The only thing that he had was the hearing, and it didn't really fool the hearing. But at the same time, too, when all these other things seemed to add up, he's like, "All right, this is this is Esau." And chances are, as old as he was, you know, his hearing probably wasn't the best either. So he didn't trust his hearing. He trusts the uh, the feeling and the smelling and the taste of the venison, and so he went along with it. And so you know, chance you know because. I used to read, hear the story, of thinking, "How many fall for that?" You know, I know my kid's voices. You know, I, I would not be able to recognize them, but maybe, uh, you know, at this point in his life, his hearing probably wasn't that good, and so he did. He just trusted these other senses. And if we were blind, we would probably learn to trust in some of those other things too. Might change that a little bit. But anyway, verse twenty-eight says, "Therefore, God give thee of the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of corn and wine. Let people serve thee." And nations bow down to thee be lord over thy brethren and let thy mother's sons bow down to thee curse be everyone that curseth thee and blessed be he that blesseth thee all right now this is where we're getting into some prophetic stuff here so notice the blessing that he blessed them with he said uh, he said bless them that blesseth thee okay that's the same blessing God gave to Abraham we already looked at that And then we see God gave that same blessing to Isaac. I will bless him that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. Here, Isaac is transferring that blessing to Jacob. But let me ask you, who, okay, pay very close attention to this question. Who was the blessing intended for? It was intended for Esau. But who got it? Jacob. Is there any denying that? Can anybody give me an argument? You can argue with me right now if you have any proof. The blessing was intended for Esau, but Jacob got it. Okay? I don't, even a dispensationalist wouldn't argue with this. Okay? Keep that in mind because this is, this is going to blow up in their face if they admit this truth. And you have to admit this truth. Okay? You have to. So, right now, Jacob has the blessing. Esau does it. Jacob has it. And we need to remember that Edom, or Esau, represents the Jews. I'm not coming up with this. I didn't come up with this. The Apostle Paul said the Jews were supposed to get the blessing, but the Christians ended up getting it. Y'all understand that? The blessing was intended for the Jews, but the Christians got it. We have it. Y'all understand that? We have it. It was intended for the Jews, what we have was intended for the Jews, but we got it. Okay? We got it. And so, who, so, Isaac's blessing was intended for Esau, but Jacob got it. Now turn over to Romans chapter 9 and verse 1. This is the, this is the chapter that the Calvinists are always owning the Baptists on, because the Baptists can't admit the truth of this passage, because it'll ruin one of the other pet doctrines. So it says in verse 1, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing witness with, witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have a great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ, for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. That would be Jews. Physical Jews. Who are Israelites. To whom pertaineth the adoption. What does that word pertaineth mean? We all know Deuteronomy 22, five: a woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man. To pertain, it means it was made for. Okay? A woman should not wear a garment that was made for a man. And so notice when it's saying, to whom pertaineth the adoption, it was made for Israel. That's what this is saying right here. Okay? To whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law. And the service of God and the promises. It was all made, it was designed for Israel. In the flesh, whose are the fathers, and of whom is concerning the flesh, Christ came. Concerning the flesh, you know who Christ came for? The Jews. For Israel, according to the flesh. Who is overall God blessed forever. Amen. So, we see that very clearly. And remember, Hebrews 11.20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. This blessing was prophetic. Now look at verse 6 of Romans 9. Not as though the word of God had taken none effect. Why is he saying that? Because these blessings, these covenants, they were made for Israel according to the flesh. But they don't have them. So Paul's saying, hey, not as though the word of God had taken none effect. It's not that God's word did not have an effect. It's not that God's will is not going to be accomplished. Because... For they are not all Israel, which are of Israel, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise, at this time will I come, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but also when Rebekah had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac. So we saw the Ishmael-Isaac sign that we've already covered and already proved and Paul referred to in Galatians 4. But you know what? God didn't just show us replacement theology with Ishmael and Isaac. He showed it to us again with Esau and Jacob. And it says, For the children, being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. Now this is where the Calvinists come in and say, this is about election. God chose them from the womb. God is choosing nations here. God is choosing a people here. This is not about individuals. God is choosing a people. God always wanted a people. Throughout Genesis, we've been showing how God was looking for a people. We're seeing that throughout the book of Genesis. And Paul here is showing us in Romans 9 how God was looking for a people. And when God was looking for a people, God chose Jacob over Esau for a people plural and so that way the purpose of god according to election might stand this isn't about individuals folks this isn't about individual salvation this is about a people and if you're saved today you're a part of that people that god chose okay so verse 12 it was said unto her the elder shall serve the younger remember we saw that before this was prophesied to sarah she knew it she knew what was coming as it is written Jacob, have I loved? But Esau, have I hated? We don't have time to go to Malachi, but then it goes and it shows how God blessed Jacob over Esau, referring to the people because God said, "And I laid, you know, uh, you know, Esau's land a wilderness, a desolation." I can't, I'm not going to quote it to you exactly right, but if you read Malachi, it is very clear it was referring to the people because we're going to see later too in Genesis, God blessed Esau too. God blessed Esau, the individual, greatly. But Esau, the people, they were a cursed people. They were a, a people that God, God had indignation on forever. The people of the Edom were a wicked people that were constantly persecuting God's people, the Jews, and they were cursed as a result of that. So uh, that's an important thing to understand. So what should we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid Okay, this is where the Calvinists say, you know, you you Arminians, you get all mad whenever, you know, you're always saying, well, you know, why would God choose somebody to go to hell? You know, well, you know, you don't understand God. This isn't about individuals. This is about a people. Because Paul's saying, I wish the Israelites could all be saved. I wish all my brethren, according to the flesh, would all be saved. That was Paul's will that God would save all of Israel, all of his people. God, Paul wanted them to be the people of God. But you know what? That wasn't what God wanted. That wasn't God's will. It was Paul's will, but it wasn't God's will. And you know what? It was clear that God chose Israel for destruction. The physical people, okay? The physical nation that was there, God chose them for destruction. It says in verse. It, you might not like that. You might say "Is there unrighteousness with God, but he says, God forbid, for he said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion, so that it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. And then it goes on, it talks about Pharaoh, showing how God used Pharaoh, God wanted to, God wanted to use Pharaoh to show his power. And God basically chose Pharaoh for destruction. That's true. God did do that. Doesn't mean Pharaoh never had a chance to get saved before that, but you know at this point in his life when he was Pharaoh and he was in charge, he clearly was reprobate. That's but at the same time, notice what it says then in nineteen. For thou wilt say unto me, Why did he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? Nay, but O man, but who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it? Why hast thou made me this? You don't like it that the physical people are not God's chosen people? You don't like it that God raised up these physical people only for destruction? Well, you know what? It's God that raised them up. The potter has power over the clay. You might not like it, but you know what? You're not God. And a lot of people don't like this teaching about replacement theology, but you know what? They're not God. Hey, I yeah, you're like Paul. You want them all to be saved, but you know what? God raised them up for destruction. And that's what he's going to do. And you're just going to have to get over that. Now, thank God, according to Romans 11, any individual from Israel can be saved. But the people as a whole, okay, the people that are of the flesh, they will be destroyed. And it says, Hath not the powder power over the clay, the same lump to make one vessel unto honor, and another unto dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? That is what the physical people are. The vessels of wrath fitted to destruction that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had afore prepared unto glory even us whom he hath called not of the Jews only but also of the Gentiles. We are the vessels of mercy that God has chosen. But the physical people of Israel they are the vessels of wrath fitted for destruction. Any Calvinist who would go and use this chapter to make it about choosing individuals for salvation is a fraud and does not know how to look at context in Scriptures. But you know what? They've gotten away with it for decades because Baptists have jumped on the dispensationalism bandwagon. And they don't know how to preach the truth about Israel. And so you got these Calvinists, they have this stupid interpretation of this, but nobody knows how to call them out on it. And so they're like, well, I must have been right. I sure stumped Pastor Dispensationalism. You know, these guys, man, you know, Git had nothing to say about that. Man, I must be right on the money. Because we already know God chose some people for salvation and some not for salvation. We already know that. So this interpretation must be correct. Nobody's answering me. Well, you know what? I'm answering them. I'm answering them. And they're frauds. And abs just dead wrong. And using, listen, even if you want to, you could convince me that Calvinism is correct and you couldn't. But even if you could, I would never use Romans 9 to teach Calvinism. That would be foolish to do that. But again, they've gotten away with it because most Baptists today are dispensationalists and they're having their way with people and they are that's why these guys keep following these trendies. Dispensationalists are just looking stupid with this all the time. So understand, God chose Jacob Okay, got it or got the blessing ended up going to Jacob over Esau and we're seeing a picture of that in this story it says in Romans 10 19 because okay, remember Esau he had a right to the blessing because okay? in Romans 9 6 through 16 let me start go back up a little bit it's showing how God originally had chosen to have mercy on the younger rather than the elder. And he says this directly comparing Esau to the physical Israel, who was still unsaved. And comparing these Gentiles who came later to Jacob, who ended up receiving the blessing. We came along later and got the blessing. And now why was God doing this too? Well, because we have the first Adam that plunged the whole human race into destruction and into sin. And then we have the last Adam, Jesus Christ, who came along later. And he's where salvation is at. You know, it, it, and so, the one who comes later was always the better one. And so, Esau, he had a right to the blessing. The blessing that Isaac gave was intended for him, but it ended up going to someone it was not intended for, just like the kingdom of God was intended for the Jews, but it ended up going to a foolish nation that wasn't even looking for it. Did you know that Jacob, he wasn't looking to steal the blessing of Isaac, was he? Or Esau, was he? But he ended up getting it. I, you know, Rebecca pushed him into it. And Romans 10.19 says, But I say, did not Israel know? First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. But Isaiah is very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. But to Israel he saith, all the day long I have stretched forth my hand unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. So, yes, all these things you read about in the Old Testament, you can read all these things in the Old Testament. That's for Israel. That's for Israel. Yes, it was all for Israel. But wait a minute. Something happened in the New Testament. Yes, somebody else got the covenants. Somebody else got the blessing. Not the people that it was intended for. Not the people that it was made for. It did, just like the blessing didn't go to Esau, the covenants and everything, the promises, they didn't go to physical Israel. They went to the people of faith. They went to a mixed group of Jews and Gentiles who were just of faith they went to not a physical people a spiritual people that is exactly what happened and we're seeing that in genesis and so that's that first part of the prophecy you know where isaac is telling him i'm going to bless him that blesseth thee it's just it's showing uh you know that same blessing that had been given to abraham was then given to isaac is now being passed on to jacob and so when people are out there, when all the goofballs are out there talking about the Jews, I'll bless them and bless and We need to give money to the Jews so God will bless us. Okay, wrong. That blessing was intended. They were supposed to get it, but you know what? They lost it. We got it. We got, we got it instead of them. But notice also in Isaac's prophecy, let's go to the next part where he said his mother's sons would bow down to him. Okay, he also said that too. My mother's sons will bow down to thee, now, look at what it says in Revelation 3 and verse 9. Because Remember, this is, this is prophetic. I didn't say this was prophetic. The writer of Hebrews said it's prophetic. He says, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which they are, they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. They're going to come and worship before thy feet. You know you have to bow down to do that. Okay? This is clearly an end-time prophecy that is talking about Israel, but no. But we end up getting this blessing. Okay? or Turn over to Isaiah sixty. Okay? This blessing that we just saw, or this promise that Jesus gave to the church. Okay, this is a promise that was given to Israel originally, and Isaiah sixty clearly an end times passage. We don't have time to go into all of it. Verse fourteen says, "The sons of also of them that afflicted thee." Okay, who's been afflicting the church? Esau, Ishmael, the Jews. That's what we see in the New Testament. They shall come bending unto thee, and all they that despise thee shall bow themselves down at the soles of thy feet, and they shall call thee the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel, Whereas thou hast been forsaken and hated, so that no man went through thee. I will make thee an eternal excellency, a joy of many generations, Thou shalt also suck the milk of the Gentiles and shalt suck the breast of the kings. And thou shalt know that I, the Lord, am thy Savior and thy Redeemer and the Mighty One of Jacob. Notice how he's telling them, this is to Israel. They're all going to come. The sons of them that oppress thee, they're going to bow down before thee. They're going to know that I have loved you. But here we see in the New Testament what God promised to Israel we got. How did that happen? You know why? Because Jacob got the blessing, not Esau. And physical Israel is Esau, and they're not getting it. Okay, when you read this here, you know what? Claim it, folks. Because we got the blessing. But but wait, this was intended for this was intended for Israel. Right. Just like Isaac's blessing was intended for Esau. But Jacob got it. And we're, we're Jacob. Okay, I didn't come up with this. This is what the Bible says. So we have what was made for Israel. Okay? But and why? See, because all of the physical descendants of Abraham, all of them, failed to keep the covenant that God gave Abraham. Why? Remember what I also said in Genesis: God told God told Abraham, "I'm going to choose Abraham. I'm going to tell Abraham these things because I know him that he will command his children." And Abraham commanded right, but did any of his children do right? Hey, just read the Old Testament. None did right except for one descendant. There was one descendant. It came from Mary. Not Joseph. Mary. His name was... You know what? He did keep the covenant. He did do all those things. So you know what? Everything should go to him, right? But wait a minute. What about all these other people? What about this multitude that no man could number? You know what? All of us can get in that. We have to be in Christ. See, the blessing went to Jesus. That's where it ended up. And the reason we have it today... It's not so much because God went and said, you know what? That physical Israel, I don't like them anymore. I'm done with them. I'm going to go to that Gentile church. And that's us. And God's just looking at us and like, wow. You know, they're, they're what Israel never could do. And this is what these clowns that try to refute dispensation say. You know, you replacement theology people, you think that the New Testament church was able to accomplish what Israel never could accomplish. Wrong, bozo. No, we haven't accomplished it either, but Jesus did for us. And you know what? We have it through Him. That's how we got it. We got it through Him, because you know what? He did obey all those laws. He did keep all the commandments. And He went and He died, and He paid for all of our sins. He's our high priest. And so you know all those things that Israel couldn't do? We can't do them either, but our high priest has done them for us. And therefore, we claim all of those things. We have those blessings. End of story. No, I've never heard a replacement theology say, that us Gentile church, we've been able to do what Israel was never able to do. I've never heard anybody say that. Where do these clowns get this stuff? But that's what they're saying. There's a guy out there making all these videos trying to refute our stuff, saying that very thing. The guy's a liar and a quack. And doesn't know how to refute what we actually teach. So you know what they do? They make up straw men. I'll say that they said this because that's easier. I can't refute what they're actually saying. So let me make up something that they said. And then I'll just destroy that. But you know what? They, this guy just proves that he doesn't even understand the, any theology. He doesn't even understand salvation. Folks, do we really think? Because you know, this guy too also thinks you got to repent of your sins to be saved. What makes him think he's repented of his sins? What makes him think that he has done anything that has earned his salvation? Okay, And if you ask him, hey, how did you get your salvation? He'd say, I trusted in Jesus Christ. Are you sure about that? Because you're trying to tell me I'm not saved because I repented of my sins. What makes you think you repented of your sins? What makes you think you couldn't do what every other person ever wasn't able to do? You know, Abraham wasn't able to do that. Most of the children of Israel. Are you saying you you succeeded in repenting of your sins where Israel wasn't able to? The double talk from these people. Okay? You can only get away with this kind of hypocrisy in, dispens, in the dispensational world. That's all, there, that's all there is to it. And so, uh, you know, we're, we're out of time here. I, 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 but the, the rest of this story here, because remember, when it comes to you know the prophecy, the symbolism, things like that. We don't want to take it any far farther than the Bible does. Okay, we let the we where the New Testament uses it, we'll use it. We're not going to go extra in this. And we go and we read the story, and you know the story. Esau ends up coming, finds out that Jacob stole the blessing. You know, and he's he and he's extremely upset. He's weeping. He's begging his dad for another blessing. And uh, and Isaac said unto him, Behold, thy dwelling shall be at the fatness of the earth, and the dew of heaven from above. And by the sword thou shalt live, and thou shalt serve thy brother, and it shall come to pass, when thou shalt have the dominion, that thou shalt break his yoke from off thy neck. And Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of the morning for my father are at hand, then will I slay my brother Jacob. And so basically what we see here, I don't believe what we're seeing here. Is prophetic so much as far as like you know thousands of years in the future, but it is what happened in his life, and it is what happened with the the physical people of Israel during that time, and the physical people of Edom. Israel got a better deal than Edom did. Israel got a better land, and that's exactly what we see in the Book of Malachi. It lines up exactly with that, and so I believe kind of what we see in the rest of this chapter, it was all fulfilled during the Old Testament's time. And so then we see in the story that, you know, Rebecca tells uh, Jacob, you need to go away. You need to go to my brother's place and find a wife there. I hate the women in this area. They're horrible. They're feminist. They're nags. They got short hair. Uh, you know, they dress like men. You know, they're, you, know, they're, you, know you, don't wanna, you don't want one of these women for a wife. They will make you miserable, and they'll make me miserable. So it says, go to my father's house, and then you all know the story, and Jacob ends up going there. And this is mentioned. This is significant. You know, one, he was trying to hide from his brother Esau, who wanted to kill him. But also, two, it's doing that because of the fact that, again, we're looking at Israel's history. We're looking at these nations and where they go. And Isaac spends 20 years, uh, you know, in the land of Laban, working for his father-in-law, and that's where he has his children. So this is a major part of Israel's history. That we're about to go into. And so that's why it mentions that there. But this is a long story. And folks, this is a great story. It's a great Sunday school story. Every kid that's ever gone to Sunday school knows the story. But you know, it's amazing how many people don't understand the prophetic significance of it. And you know what? I wonder why. It's clearly prophetic. It's flat out spelled out in Hebrews chapter 11 that it is. In Romans chapter 9. But you know why nobody talks about it? Because they don't like the prophecy. Isn't, isn't that a shame? This is a, this is an amazing chapter, amazing passage of scripture, and people are missing out because they don't like it. But you know what? Get over it. Jacob replaced Esau. Change my mind on that. Jacob got the blessing that was intended for Esau. And you, go ahead, show me all the scriptures. Showing all these promises in Genesis or in in the Old Testament how they were for physical Israel. Show go ahead, show me all show me all that. I'll believe you. You're right. Those things were intended for Israel. But we got them. We got them. End of story. And in fact, no, it's not even end of story. That's beginning of story too. It's It's in the book of Genesis. It's in Genesis and Revelation. The same prophecy that Isaac gave about his brothers bowing down to him, it was given in Genesis and in Revelation. And you're going to try to tell me replacement theology is not in the Bible. You know what? It's time for you to burn your college textbooks and your dispensational books and just go back to reading the Bible with an unbiased mindset. And you know what? You might actually learn something. So with that, let's close the word of prayer. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your goodness to us and your word and just uh, this amazing book that you've given us. Dear God, I pray you'll just use this message. Lord, I pray it'll just it'll open the eyes of people that are just covering their eyes, Lord, when it comes to just clear prophecy and when it comes to the things that were replaced with theology. Lord, I'm, I'm tired of seeing the, the Calvinists uh, win people over with their trash doctrine, Lord, because dispensationalists are just afraid to admit they're wrong. I do believe Calvinism is a worse doctrine, but the stubbornness of these people—it's—it's it's causing them to just lose people to something worse. And I pray that you'll uh, take the blinders off, help them to humble themselves, and to just get them get these things uh, right in their theology. In your name, we pray. Amen. Let's-